think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Go ahead, Jim. Good evening, everybody, and thank you very much for coming to Calientes here in Mount Lebanon this evening. As I know most of you in this room, some of you I don't know, I've had a chance to meet for the first time tonight. My name is Joe. I am the owner of Draft 412. To my right, I have Dave Finoli. If you guys don't know who Dave is, Dave is uh, one of our writers and also Pittsburgh's premier sports historian. If you go to any Barnes & Noble and walk up to a uh, local sports section, you'll see about 30 books with Dave Finoli's name on them. Uh, he's written everything from old school University of Pittsburgh stuff to Clemente stuff, and we're going to give him a little bit of a chance later to talk about um, his new book that's coming out as well. And to my far right is our editor-in-chief, uh, John Toth, JT. I know many of you also know uh, JT from some of our, our other podcasts. I want to welcome you here uh, on behalf of, of Nick and his staff who have been graciously working feverishly this evening uh, to, to feed everybody and make sure everybody's glass is filled. We appreciate you coming here uh, tonight to Calientes. Uh, and I also want to in particular thank Nick. I know some of you, not all of you, some of you have had a chance to come to our uh, Stage AE event for uh, draft day for the Steelers. Uh, Calientes was our first sponsor in the door. We asked and we received. He was there with wings, he was there with pizza. I know that you guys are here for some of the wings and pizza, more likely for the wings and pizza than for us, uh, but we appreciate you coming here anyway uh, to listen to us. But we do have a couple of special guests tonight, uh, the first of which uh, is E.J. Johnston. E.J. is the founder and CEO of 3S, and if you guys don't know what 3S is, and I know some of you do because I was with you last year uh, when I played the PPG Pants. Uh, it's a 3 out the free men's professional hockey league that stands adjacent to the NHL. I'm going to have EJ tell you a little bit about it, but we went to it last year. I didn't know what to expect. We went to PPG Pants 
And uh, you know, my wife and all of her job friends, they said, hey, do you want to come in? And I was like, sure, hockey, I'm in. I went there, and it is the fastest sport you will ever see outside of motorsports and horse racing. I mean, the thing doesn't stop. It is exactly what you see in overtime hockey during the regular season. Three on three, and when they score, they still don't stop. Uh, when there's a penalty shot, they still don't stop. I'll let him tell you a little bit about it because it's very unique, and they've got an event coming up, which we'll get into in a minute. But if I can trouble EJ to come up front, we'd love to, to have you. Thank you very much for coming in. So EJ, thanks for, for coming. Appreciate that. Um, wanted to just give you the floor for a few seconds. So for those who haven't been to a game or haven't had a chance to, to watch it, tell them a little bit about 3ICE and what you guys are all about. Yeah, you know, our Commissioner Craig Patrick uh, calls it overtime all the time. We've taken the NHL's format and the overtime session made it a full league. So it's three on three all the time. Six skaters plus a goalie. We've got eight teams. Four show up each week. We play a bracket style tournament to crown a winner that night. At the end of the season, the top four teams will play in the championships, which this year is August 12th on big CBS uh, in the uh, Flyers Wells Fargo Arena. And it is just absolutely electric. It is a track meet on the ice. Uh, you know, we like to say, you know, it's NASCAR or Formula One on the, uh, on the ice, sort of quick, Water bug type players, five eight, five nine, six foot, about one hundred and fifty to two hundred pounds. Just quick, great hands, and it's just electric hockey, and we don't stop. It's fantastic. But we all know that you've come from a hockey family. Uh, but where did the idea for the league come from? I mean, was this your brainchild sitting there one night drinking, or was this a a, a team sport? Where where did the idea come from? Because it's 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 really taking uh, the the game by storm. Yeah, the, the light bulb moment was. Um, because my father, Ed Johnson, I had access to the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I got invited to their rookie camp, and they finished with three-on-three -three tournaments. And I did the New Jersey Devils a couple days earlier and watched their three-on-three -three tournament, which, strangely, they pay, play horizontally instead of full ice, which I thought was strange for grown men, but both places were packed. And I'm sitting there with Billy Guerin and Jimmy Rutherford at the time, my dad, Craig Patrick, and a whole host of uh, the scouts, and I'm watching the crowd, reacting to these unknown players, light it up, and I'm sort of picking at the scouts and saying, you know, what are you guys looking for? And the adjectives left off the page. It was speed, skill, creativity, risk-taking, hands, um, just great, great words. And I'm just watching and watching the crowd, watching the players. And I went home that night, I talked to my dad about it, and I said, Dad, I think this is a full-time league. You've got Formula E and Big Three Basketball and Rugby Sevens, and if you're a cricket fan, there's something called the Indian Premier League, which is a short-form version of that game. And they're all having great success, and I said, this game is actually better. It's more exciting if we did a few rule modifications. I think we've got something here. Wrote the business model for about a month, and then I took it on the road and just had any constituency that I could poke holes in it. Guys like Brian Trottier, agents, uh, executives at the NHL, Major League Baseball, NBA, you name it. And I realized after a year I had something special here and then we're off to the races. So EJ, how has the, um, the NHL been to you? Like supportive, at an arm's length? Have they, have they um, been behind you or you know, what was our reaction? Yeah, so we went and presented uh, about three years ago to them and they, uh, they loved it. They said, listen, we think, see this as additive, not competitive. We said we agree, and um, they kind of gave us sort of a blessing. Said, you know, knock yourselves out, go ahead. And then about a year ago, we went back in there, and they paid us a really nice compliment. They said, EJ, you know, you sat in that chair and you talked about a bunch of things that you said you were going to do, 
Rarely does that happen. You did everything you said you were going to do, and I think there's something that we could potentially do together. So we're in friendly discussions about potential collaborations. Hopefully something happens, but they really think we're uh, additive, not competitive, and we bridge that gap. You know, if you don't make the playoffs, your season is over April 5th, 6th, or 7th. You've got four or five, six months of no hockey in your town. That's half the league. So we bridge that gap really nicely. So uh, they're a, a supporter of ours unofficially. Uh, AJ, I wanted to talk a little about uh, where your future players uh, or the potential future uh, um, players down the road. Can you talk a little about who, who plays the game? Yeah, we've got Craig Patrick as our commissioner, and he uh, did a great job sourcing the players. We had about 300 on our list. In our first season, we uh, invited about uh, 75 to 80 to our training camp in Vegas. And these guys are there's three player profiles. We've got the ex-NHLer who's about 31 to about 35. These guys have played anywhere from 50 games to 300 games in the NHL. Smaller, quicker body types. I like to point to Connor Sheary as that kind of body type. He's not in our league, but he's a perfect example of that, that folks here will know. And then you've got that second tier, which is professionals from all over the world. AHL, ECHL, Russia, uh, every league in Europe, Finland, Sweden, Germany, you name it. We have the entire planet represented. And then you've got those, that third profile, the young guys. Guys that are coming out of school, maybe wanting to wear the belts in the E or the A, and they're looking to prove themselves. So you've got guys looking to extend their careers, guys looking to improve their lot when they go back to Europe, or maybe get back into the A, and if they light it up there, who knows? And then these young guys that are really hungry and they want to showcase their talent and got overlooked for whatever reason, usually because they're undersized. Our body type is the kind of guy that is quick, fast, and a lot of times when they get to the NHL or the big leagues, they're asked to check, and they can't really survive in the league doing that. Our platform gives them a chance to show the creativity, the hands, the speed, hockey IQ. So it's a really great platform for them, and the fans get to enjoy that. So, I can follow up on Dave's question, and I've got a two-pronged question. The first is, uh, JT mentioned earlier uh, about where the NHL is. I saw last week one of your coaches was poached and is going back to the NHL. Um, a lot of us will recognize that, that name because he used to play here even though he's more known for his flyer days. Uh, the other side of it is too, I, by accident this week when I was calling around, I called Ice Castle down the road here and I found out that you had two players that you want to talk about you know, you know, poaching locally. They're, they're literally, you know, they could walk here if they wanted to. Tell us about that, too. I mean, you obviously have, have people that are graduating and going back to the, to the league. You've got others that are local you're giving a shot to. Can you speak to both of those points? Yeah, so you're talking about Tyler Mirovich. Uh, he's a Mount Lebanon kid and uh, went to the University of Michigan. He played the A, played the E. He's uh, 33 now. He lit it up last year. He was our top scorer for one of the weeks. Uh, we wear something, uh, the Warrior Golden Helmets, we have a Golden Helmet for at least one week. And it's just a great example of a guy that was overlooked and just really couldn't survive in the A because he was asked to do something outside of his skill set. But yeah, we've got guys, uh, you know, we're, we're playing in Boston this year at BU's Aganis Arena. We've probably got 10 to 15 guys from up there. Joe Whitney, his brother Steve, both played in the NHL, Paul Carey. Um, there's just a bunch of guys that are local guys. Uh, Bobby Farnham played here in Pittsburgh for a few games and he's from Boston. Uh, so there's a lot of local connections. Uh, that's partially by design, but also Boston's got a lot of talent. Um, but yeah, Tyler Mirovich has been a fantastic player. He lit it up, and uh, he's he's fun to watch. Well, you mentioned something before I let JT ask this question. We, we have a couple of trivia questions for those who are out there, but since you mentioned it, I got to I got to ask the question. Uh, in the league, uh, a player wears a golden helmet. One single player wears a golden helmet. If anybody 
can guess why they wear a golden helmet. You're going to get some prizes right behind you. So first one to guess why. What was that? Reading, that's correct. <laughs> How did you know? It's it. Leading score. Leading score. Leading score, correct. That is it. And it's based on the, um, the Finnish Hockey League. So every year, the guy that has the most goals in that league, the next year, wears a golden helmet. In Finland, they call it the, why don't you run me over or slash me helmet. But uh, in our league, it's, it's a way to tell the fans who to pay attention to. It looks great on the ice, but, and we change it each week. So the leading scorer, based on goals, tiebreakers, assists, gets to wear that helmet. It's just a great way to identify someone to pay attention to. There you go. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's a deep cut. That's a B-side right there. I like it. Alright, DJ, I was on your website, I was looking through the rosters, um, the team rosters and the coaches, and the coaches popped out at me. Your league has more star power at coaches than the NHL does. Talk about talk about the coaches in your league. It's 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 mind blowing who, who's coaching in the uh, the three ice. Yeah, they, they flatter me. Um, we've got Ray Bork, Grant Shearer, Larry Murphy, John McClare, Ed Johnston, my dad, Craig Patrick. Guy Carboneau. Uh, we've got eight unbelievable coaches. They're all in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I don't know how many Stanley Cups we have. I think it's 23 or 24. We've got some gold medals in there, uh, world championships. Um, it, it's just a, a, a tremendous group of hockey talent, great hockey minds, and I'll tell you, they're into it. I mean, John LeClaire last year, he was walking those halls, piping hot when he lost. Larry Murphy is a bundle of nerves before each game. It's unbelievable. Trottier, he was one and done. He won it last year, and he's like, I can't handle the pressure. I'm out. I want it. I'm out. So it's, uh, it's, they take it seriously. The players take it seriously. Guys cry when they win and cry when they lose. Tears of joy, tears of anger. And it's just tremendous to have those kinds of mentors giving their attention and sharing their hockey IQ and knowledge with these young guys. And it's going to benefit them. You know, a guy like Kevin uh, Fitzgerald going over to uh, play in Finland last year because he shined in our league. That's the kind of stuff that he's taking with him because it's important wisdom for the coaches. And if you don't mind, throw a little. Um, you told us last week we had a podcast with you last week. We talk about Grant Fuhrer. That was our the most one of the most amazing things because he's a goalie. Why would he want to be in this league? And tell tell the people out there what Grant Fuhrer told you. Yeah, he, he was the first coach we got. Um, I heard through the grapevine he wanted to get back into coaching, and he loves offense. You know, he's the kind of guy that. He's going to get, you know, 40 shots on him. He's going to give up four or five goals, but he'll stop that fifth or sixth one. He loves the action. He thinks it's great. And the goaltenders get to be heroes in this. They get exposed a lot, but they also make great, spectacular saves. You can imagine with all that space on the ice, the puck moving east to west. You've got to slide across, full sprint, split, get that glove up or stick that stick out. The opportunity for spectacular saves is great. But as a goaltender, you think he'd hate it? He absolutely loves the action. He loved it playing in Edmonton, and uh, it's just, it's a great track meet, and the goalies get to be the hero quite often. You can be a GOAT, but you can be a hero a lot more. Uh, just a little off subject. This is because your dad was my favorite player. Um, um, what, what are some of the stuff? I mean, that Boston team from the late 60s, early 70s is probably the greatest team I've seen in my lifetime. Um, what, what kind of stories does he does he tell about? Yeah, he, he's got a lot of them. Um, you know, for me, it was it was a real treat. I didn't really appreciate it when I was four, five, six, growing up around Esposito and Johnny Busick and Bobby Orr and Johnny Pye McKenzie and Jerry Cheevers. I mean, just legends. Um, they had a lot of stories. Not too many were PG, uh, maybe a high level. Um, Esposito, 
was in the hospital and they stole him in his hospital bed, complete with his hospital gown, and rolled him down the street to Daisy Buchanan's. And they had beers at the, well, actually, excuse me, it wasn't Daisy Buchanan's, it was a bar at the base of Beacon Hill. So it was at Mass General and they rolled him across the street. They stole him in his gown. Uh, and another one is he, um, Bobby Moore's father actually asked my dad if Bobby could be his roommate. And my dad kind of gave him a sideways look because my dad had a reputation back then. His nickname was Downtown, if that gives you any indication. And uh, he basically, you know, put Bobby on probation and made him wear a chauffeur's hat. That's my dad around. My dad would go to bars, maybe have one or two many libations, and then Bobby would drive him home and make him wear a hat. So those are the two that I think I can tell. I think that's funny that Eddie Johnson and Jolie Brown had the same nickname, Downtown Jolie Brown and Downtown Eddie Johnson. That's pretty cool. I did not make that connection. <laughs> I'm going to tell them. We have a few minutes left in your time. While, while you have a few seconds, why don't you tell everybody about your event coming up next week at, at RMU. I think everybody in this room should be there. So why, why don't you give a little bit of a head Yeah, no, thank you. Um, so last year we played at PBG Pants Arena. They're doing some construction this year. And this year, as uh, part of being a good hockey neighbor, we're going to go to RMU, play there, and a percentage of our proceeds are going to get donated back to their Division One program for both ladies and men. So we're being a good hockey neighbor there. So if you come out and support us, you'll be entertained. You'll be supporting our business, but you'll also be helping Division One hockey return to Pittsburgh. So we think that's important for us. But it's on the uh, Wednesday, 628. If you haven't gotten tickets yet, please come to uh, 3ice.com and get them. And uh, I think we're going to prepare tickets away at some point tonight if someone gets another trivia question. Well, yeah, I've got one more trivia okay. question before we open it up to Q&A. And if you're a, a, a listener or paying attention earlier, you might have known the answer to this question. But 3ice doesn't have a Stanley Cup. They've got a different kind of club that's named after someone else that's involved that does have a Penguins history. The first person that knows the name of that cup and tells us who it's named after will win the the uh, the, the tickets in the hat. Good luck. Good guess. Incorrect. Good cigar, man. We have an award. The top, um, the league MVP is named after Brian Trottier. Close, but no cigar. Anyone else? Anyone not cheating by looking at Google? Yeah, good. Yuri Herdina. Yep. What'd she say? She Sold said, to the infant. She said Craig Patrick, and it's the Patty Cup. I, I, was, I, was I, was, I was just interpreting for her. So. You got it, man. Yeah, but the Patrick's. Do have time for a couple of questions? Absolutely. Right, Absolutely. Yeah, a couple of Q&As. Anybody have any questions for EJ before you let him get back to his evening? There we go. No. Oh, there you go. So you said the three-on-three three kind of jump-started and sparked an interest in the league. Was it like a, was it one particular game or sequence? Because I know when I saw three-on-three, three, I think the first overtime winner was a great point goal for Tampa, where it took about 40 seconds of overtime where it was pure chaos between them. And I believe it was Montreal. It was all hell kind of broke loose. Was there a sequence like that that jumped that out to you within that training camp? Um, not at the training camp, but I went to my first three-on-three three and it sort of hit my eye a little bit weird. And then the next one I went to, the second one, was like that. It was just hair on fire hockey, just absolute beautiful chaos. And I said, this is incredible. Um, so I was hooked after that second viewing. But there's a few clips that when I'm pitching my business to someone, a sponsor, there's a couple clips. Chicago Blackhawks had just this end-to-end -end game. I think it was against the Rangers, but I'm not 100% sure. About three and a half, four minutes of just track meet. 
chance after chance after chance. And you see that and you're just like, it would be so great if hockey was like this all the time. So for us, it's two eight-minute periods of running clock, and it is that. And uh, you know, we alluded to the rule changes. We don't have four-on-three power plays. We go straight to penalty shot. We call it a jailbreak-style format. The guy has the puck at center ice. Everyone else lines up behind him. As soon as he touches it, it's game on. We don't play the we play the puck. Excuse me, live off the netting above the plexiglass. If it comes in clean, we don't have face-offs. Goals get scored. Everyone vacates the zone. You drop the puck at the goalie's feet, and we go again. It is just absolute chaos all the time. Beautiful goals, beautiful saves, tic-tac-toe passing. It's fantastic. So kind of an aggregate of those things, seeing it a second or third time and watching some, some things on uh, television. I was just like, if hockey could be like this all the time, it'd be incredible. And it is. It is that. I remember when the NHL was in the lockdown and there were murmurs of the WHA kind of relaunching. Remember that? Um, and when that time, what were some of the unexpected challenges you had in starting a new league? Because obviously the WAJ kind of fizzled out without the uh, three Yeah, you know, it's um, when you're starting a new business, there's a, there's a phrase going from zero to one is the hardest, right? So that initial inertia is very, very difficult to, to muscle through. So you have to sort of put something down on paper, get your pitch down, and then convince people to join. For us, the biggest moment was when CBS and CBS Sports Network said, yes, we're going to broadcast you. So you can watch our regular season on CBS Sports, our championship on big CBS. That was the pitiful moment. I, I knew I could get people to buy into it. And once we had something like that that was real, that made a lot of sense. And then you could go to the coaches and say, hey, guys. So there's nothing in particular other than just moving forward every single day ticking boxes but for me there was a couple big moments grant fear saying yes and then just the domino effect of other coaches and cbs saying yes and then you know getting sponsors on board and uh you know draft 412 being a partner of ours we we've just signed them on board we're excited to have them we're gonna do a lot of great stuff that you can see in the next six to twelve months and um getting people to believe in the mission because we think we've got something special we call it a rocket ship and fans reacting the way they do we know we have something special now we've got proof of concept and now it's just about growing it Thank you. Yeah. Anything else for you, Jay? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, Ray Bork in Boston versus uh, Joe Mullen's team. Joe Mullen, last year, Team Mullen was dominant. They won five out of the first five of the eight weeks in the regular season. And Ray Bork with that home ice advantage and his two sons playing for him, Chris Bork and uh, Ryan, both played in the NHL. Um, that'll be a very, very interesting matchup. And then in secondarily, I'm biased, but my dad versus Craig Patrick in this first week. You know, to see mentor versus mentee uh, here in town, um, I think it'll be a great moment. I'm very, very interested to see who gets off to a hot start. Well, EJ, thank you very much. We appreciate your time this evening, and uh, look forward to seeing you next week uh, at, at the event at RMU. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. So our next guest, uh, take a little different tack with him. He's our host this evening. Uh, he's the owner of Calientes, uh, and I'm certain that you guys have not only experienced it here in Mount Lebanon, but in some of his other locations. And now we get to experience his pizza and wings in uh, PPG Paints Arena, Heinz uh, Field slash Acrosure, and now PNC Park. So uh, with uh, 
no further ado, I'd like to bring Nick up here and ask him a few questions if he doesn't mind. And you'll see he's a sports fan, so there's relevance here. It's just not about his pizza. So for those of you who don't know who Nick is, um, you know, he was our first sponsor. And I think I mentioned that earlier uh, for our stage on the event. It's been great to work with. I'm glad everybody's been able to come out and, and have a chance to meet him this evening uh, while we're here. Uh, but this is my first time meeting him face to face. And I have to say this. When I got my an email from you guys, the first thing that I noticed is it didn't say Christina at Caliente's Pizza. It's Christina at World's Best Pizza. And if that doesn't tell you that you're a competitor out of the gate, I don't know what it is. So I figured you were a sports guy right away, but tell us, I, I know that people eat your stuff. I know Dave, I won't even get into it. Dave raves about your pizza. You're a superstar. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but tell us what it's like to be challenging for a title as World's Best Pizza. Yeah, it's one of those things that um, as, a, as a kid, I was a skinny bean pole, which means uh, one thing when you have younger brothers, that means coach, because I was uncoordinated. And uh, I started as a pizza driver in the in the pizza business, and I immediately fell in love with the team atmosphere of the pizza business. It was really um, very similar to, to sports, where you've got somebody uh, answering the phone, and then somebody stretches the pizza, they hand it off to the next guy to put the sauce and the cheeses on, next guy's uh, work in the oven, and then all of a sudden somebody's delivering the, the product to a bunch of happy people at their home. So I, I fell in love with it um, right off the bat. And then as um, 16 years working for somebody else, finally got our, our one little shot to open Caliente and um, really just, just never looked back. We, we um, really focused on the beer in the beginning to, to bring people in. And then um, people come in and think it's a bar and they said, boy, your pizza's really good. And then before you know it, uh, went out to Las Vegas, saw a competition out there and uh, came back put a team together and um hired one of my my best friends as, a, as our chef he was a white tablecloth chef i told him how uh these culinary competitions in vegas he said i'm a white tablecloth chef what are you talking about pizza for and um he he joined the team and a year later went out to vegas and and uh won the best pan pizza in the world with the with the, the quack attack is duck pizza yeah Pizza connoisseur, you are a rock star. When I went to PPG Arena, I was okay with the food, but when I saw Calientes was there, all of a sudden my world became happy at Penguin Games. Why don't you talk a little about the, the relationship you have with PPG, and, and I believe you're in PNC, correct? Yeah, we're yeah. in Akershore. Yeah, we're in Akershore as well. So so really it was one of those things as... um. As a kid growing up, and this was one of those things for everybody in the South Hills, you know, I'm a North Hills kid. So when we went to open the third store, everything lined up. The, the location was nice. The numbers were perfect. And uh, I said to my wife, well, what's holding us back from opening in Mount Lebanon? And she said, the tunnels. <laughs> so so we, we got over that and, and uh, we're able to get down here. And then we always, uh, I'd always want to be in the stadiums. I remember... Um, like many of, of everyone in the room going to Three River Stadium all those times and you could just wander around it and and um, you know I just always wanted to be uh, intertwined with with the sports but we didn't really have 
um, the right ways to do it. So when we expanded after COVID for store six and seven, we bought a commissary building over in Crafton where we, we knew that the number one complaint, like you just said, when you go to a game is the food's not good. So we didn't want to just serve a frozen pizza or something that we just put out. We wanted to create a new product that, that was Caliente worthy for the for just the arenas and the stadiums. So we actually developed a Sicilian pie that we don't sell in the restaurants, but we can make it to commissaries and mass produce it to be able to get it down there. And then the other c complaint usually is that, you know, we're not really a hunt. It's not Caliente workers. So you have to train other people to make the, the product while you're down there. So we wanted to make it as simple as possible. So we had a product that they, they take it out and um, of the day of, they take this great Sicilian shell out, they sauce it with, uh, we have a ladle that they fill the ladle up, one ladle of sauce, it's right on the wall, one big heap and scoop of cheese, and then we've got it broken down to how many pepperonis go on there. And it's, um, it's just a right crisp when it comes out. And really what I just said was the way that I pitched it to the Steelers. And um, they were like, you know what? That sounds good. Let's let's give you a shot. And um, we thought we were going to get two two locations in the clubs because they wanted to improve the club section. And they actually took us um, to the end zone. And when I saw the spot in the end zone, I was like, wow, this is uh, prime real estate here. And they said, all right, uh, this is like end of July last year. So they said, you can put put your sign there. And I said, well. To my sign guy how quick can we get a sign made and he said about six months so i had three on moroville store so we went and stole the sign off of moroville and put it right down the end zone of hines yeah 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 and then after that um we started talking with the penguins and um we were able to work a deal where we're the official pizza of the penguins and we ended up with uh five locations it i get confused maybe it's four locations in there um we had Three in Akashore last year. We're going to actually have five this year in Akashore. And then, um, I guess it is five at the Penguins. And then we said, well, we might as well, um, you'll complete the trifecta there. The, the Penguins or the Pirates sent us something that said, hey, might as well become the official pizza of, of sports. And, um, you know, as a really baseball was my first love. And, you know, I don't, I'm sure everybody else has their feelings at the Pirates and, you know, everything you can get into it <laughs> so i was on the fence about really going into um pnc park but at the end of the day um it, it really made sense for us to go down there and that's actually been uh, probably the biggest surprise out of, out of all of them i think maybe the consistency of how many games so that that's been really really great yeah. nick you're, you're like a guy's guy you you have great pizza chain you're one of the best in the world you are the best in the world um you deal with sports all the sport teams in the town and now you're adding the third part that makes me look at you as like a god is you're adding you're adding a beer line. Talk about the um, talk about talk about the new beer line you've got going on here at the Calientes. Yeah, you know, so we've had so many different things going on in the last uh, year. Really, like our goal after COVID was our our employees took such good care of the business, and we wanted to create as many career opportunities as we could after COVID. So we opened two stores, went with the commissary went right into the stadiums. And then some breaking news for everybody here, your Penn State fans were actually gonna be in Beaver Stadium coming up this year as well. So so uh, another look, probably a little bit farther out location. And then in the midst of all of that, like I mentioned in the beginning, we were really known for the craft beer, the way that we had beer from all over the, the world and across the country. 
and we had such a great craft beer following and now finally we were able to make a deal with with the local brewery to rent space of their brewery and their tanks and brew our recipes and our beer line and our brand so we're coming out with Doe daddy beer uh july 7th will be the the tapping at all the locations we're going to do a a uh, toast for the first beer every it's going to be on us and um we're, we're real excited about Doe daddy so Nick, uh, obviously this is a sports show, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. Two questions. First is, what do the Penguins do with the 14th choice that they got in the first round? Do they keep it? Do they trade? Do they trade down? Second is, Pirates have the first pick overall. Are we looking at Dylan Cruz? Are we looking at Paul Skeens? What do you think? So I, I think, um, I think the Penguins. I think they're actually going to make the pick. Would be my guess. Because I think the way that they moved it, I think uh, you know everything finally catches up to them. I think they have to make the pick. Um, so hopefully they pick somebody with that can get to the league in a few years and not uh, five or six years. That would be the hope there. And I don't know. It goes back to my love for the Pirates. What do they do? Um, I hope they take Cruz. I think that's the right. The right. Everything says. I mean, when you read a sentence and Mike Trout's name's in that sentence, you would hope that they just take the guy who's next to Mike Trout's name, but. Who, who knows? I mean, it's hard to say. I hope that's what they do. I really do. Fingers crossed. Well, does anybody have any questions for Nick? No? Bueller? What do you think about the, the, the Penguin goaltender situation? Does anything jar or this never going to cut it? Yeah, it's one of those things, you know, watching all the, the games, uh, definitely. I don't know, I almost think like past Marc-Andre Fleury, like it's been a lot of ups and downs. And then seeing him having success still later in his career makes everybody in Pittsburgh think like, what if? Um, I don't know. I, I think when you start looking at the goaltenders in the draft, there's really, it's later on is where, where they're not really projected. So even at 14, they could maybe take the first goaltender out there. I mean, who knows? They, they definitely need to get some talent in there with the goaltenders. Anything else for me? If not, Nick, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, on your way out. If you guys haven't tried the Doritos pizza here, uh, it's if, who doesn't like you're, it's un-American not to like Doritos or pizza. Uh, and then this guy puts it together. So if you haven't tried it, get one, take it home, and trust me. I try to go to the gym every day, and it's so hard to go by this place without stopping and getting one. Give it a shot. Again, thanks, Nick, for hosting us tonight. We really appreciate it. And. Thanks for you know kind of running through the gauntlet here. You got a question from the audience, a question from the from the from the host. Great. Well done. Yeah, the other pizza I want to plug real quick is uh, <laughs> we've got the Pittsburgh Vintage Grand Prix coming up, and we actually bought a race car to put to put in the race. My kids twenty kind of talked me into hey if we're going to sponsor the uh, car show we need to buy a, a race car so we found one in Shaler. It's all decked out in Caliente gear. And if we got a race car, we definitely need a pizza. So we've got a, the Detroit Motor City Madness that's uh, running right now, and it's going to run through the race. And uh, people are loving that pizza, so that's a good one to grab for sure. Great, thanks, Nick. All right, appreciate thank you. you coming. Thank you for the hospitality. Thank you. Can I get a uh, hey, picture? You. I get a picture of the logo on your hat, if you don't mind. Oh, the logo? Oh, yeah. yeah. Is that good? Yep. Perfect. All right, guys. So the Penguins pick 14 in the draft. 
what do they do? We're going to get some talks on this. Do they stay? Uh, my personal opinion is they need, to, they need to draft somebody. They have they have nobody in the minor leagues. They got to start building the minor leagues up. Um, I don't think there's a trade out there they can make that would turn their team around and make them a definite cup contender for just a 14th pick. Um, me and Joe have talked about this off the air and on, on podcasts. Jake Ansel might be the only guy really worth worth trading at this point um, to get something back where he could still compete and and get that. Um, Joe, give us some of the t- the 14, the targets if you like at 14. Like, some of the guys that you really like at third area, you think the Penguins should jump on. Yeah, well, I, I think there's, there's a few options, right? I mean, the first, you know, there's really four things I can do with the pick. You know, as, as Dick mentioned, I mean, they can make the pick there. Uh, and I'll get into that in a second. They could try to trade up. They really don't have the capital to trade up, but if there's a few players that are on that that might slide down and are of interest to them, you know, this is a really deep draft. We talked about that a few weeks ago uh, at Pittsburgh Sports Bar. We also talked about it on our podcast. And there is likely a guy in the top five, top six that could play this year for them. But likely that's, I don't, they don't have the draft capital, nor do they have the player to move to make that happen. So I think that's the most unlikely scenario. The other unlikely scenario is they trade down and get more picks. I, I think there's a logic to that. I think folks have been talking about, well, they, they don't have a second, and if they move down, they can still get a guy or two guys in the first round if they if they play the cards right or pick up a second round uh, and still get you know two quality picks and start to replenish the, the minors like you suggested, JT. Um, you know, and the last thing they can do is, is trade the pick. You know, and I think that that's becoming a, a more likely scenario than moving up or moving down. And what I mean by that is there's a number of players out there that can help them right now. They're sitting in a, sort of in a, in a dead man's land, right? They're not in the top five or six where they're going to get a guy that can help them immediately. They're not far enough down that they can move it and it's going to be inconsequential for the next couple of years. They're right in the middle. Whoever they draft there is likely not going to start this year or next year. Uh, and that doesn't help them with the team that they have. But JT Miller might. You know, or a Connor Hellebuck might, or a Johnny Gibson might, uh, and it doesn't look like they're going to, uh, you know, make an effort to re-sign Jason Zucker, and they still have 20 million under the cap, and by moving that pick and perhaps another player, uh, they can afford to get one of those guys. And there may be a few other names out there that, that pop up. I know, um, you know we've heard a few of those, but I think those are the ones that are the most prominent. I mean, JT Miller and Johnny Gibson because they're both Pittsburgh guys. And, so every time they talk about a Penguins winner, it's always like, let's go get the Pittsburgh guy and bring him home. Uh, but I think the most likely in that scenario might be Connor Hellebuck. He still has one year on his current contract in Winnipeg. Winnipeg is going through a fire sale right now. He wants $9 million a year. You know, the Penguins, if they're going to trade, they're going to have to sign and trade uh, to make that work. So we'll see. But, you know, ultimately, if you were asking me to take a guess, I'm going to say they'd make the pick of 14. Uh, and, uh, you know, if they don't, Maybe they do make a trade for a player that can help them in the next couple of years. David, see, here's my thought. When you're when you're the Penguins at this point in time, you have to ask the question: Are these trades going to win me a Stanley Cup? And I'm going to say there are too many holes defensively. There are too many holes in this team to win a Stanley Cup at this point. These guys that they they have, great all-time players in uh, Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, but every year they're going to fall a little and follow a little more. So my thought is, if you're going to trade, you trade for more picks. You've you got to start rebuilding. 
that system a little more. It is, if not the worst in hockey at this point, it's it's one of the two or three worst in hockey. And that's how one of the ways to manage a salary cap is to be able to bring up some of your young players that you're paying the, the major league minimum that are going to be uh, contributing to this team. At this point, I think there are too many holes for them to think this team can be a Stanley Cup contender if I make a trade here or there for, for NHL talent. So, I mean, will they make the playoffs with these trades? Sure. Might they get out of the first round? They might. But is that the goal of this team at this point, just to get out of the first round and win a series? It doesn't sound like it should be. Yeah, to JT's point before, I mean, the, the, the talent that might be there are going to be, going to be good players, right? I, I saw over the last couple of days during the NHL combine, the, the, you know, the team had a chance to sit down with a number of these folks that might be around at 14. Uh, one of the names that I think might be a sexier name is Nate Danielson, uh, who's a center, plays for the Brandon Wheat Kings out in the uh, Western Hockey League. Here's a guy that everyone thinks is underrated. He reminds me of what Owen Pickering was last year. I mean, Pickering slid all the way down to, I think it was 20 today. Uh, and after the draft, everyone said, what a good job the Penguins did by staying where they were. They got a guy who was underrated. And we've seen that this year in his play. He's obviously done well. You know, all the young players go up and down. But this is a guy that's going to be a top four, if not a top two defenseman for this team, likely after uh, the, the current core stars leave. The second name is a name that I like, and JT and I talk about this a lot, is Gabriel Perot. And the reason I like Gabriel Perot is uh, his father was an NHL player, and Yannick Perot, he was drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs, but he's been around the, the, the league, played for a number of years. Gabriel plays on the U.S. men's team, has won a bunch of medals, uh, has leadership qualities, is a guy that will win faceoffs for you. He's a middle six winger. He doesn't have the foot speed that you'd like to see for a guy that has his size. Uh, you, know, you would expect him to be faster, uh, but he always seems to be around the clock. He reminds me of Jordan Stahl. Like Stahl had the, 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 the penchant for going into a corner, battling for a puck, and skating away with it. And that is Gabriel Perot. If he goes into the corner, he's going to hit you. Even though he's a little smaller, he's still going to hit you. He knows how to play the game. He might be one of these guys that make the team in here. Uh, because he's he's got that skill set, he kind of grew up around it, and hockey's been his life, you know. And thirdly, you know, I, I, and I think that you know, JT and I've talked about Matthew Wood a couple of times, and I'm still JT stuff right now that that's his guy. If if I were the Panthers and I was say at 14 and Gabriel Perot was still there, that would be my pick. I don't know, JT, what do you think? I don't I don't mind Gabriel Perot. I would I would love if Matt, Matthew Wood or um. Oliver Moore would slip, and that's a big slip for Oliver Moore, but Oliver Moore is like a Paul Valberry with great speed. You could basically, um, he's a center though. You could put him on a third line, but he'd be like a third line center like a Jordan Stahl was back in the day. I don't think I don't think either of them guys could play right away though, which is Dave's point. Um, you're looking for a guy that can come up within two years, not three or four, because you got, um, you got such old, I mean, you got a great core, but they're old, I mean, you got to win a cup in the next two or three years, or it's 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 pretty much done. Um, and with the holes in the defense and the goalie, they, they have a lot more work to do. And um, chances are, the first goalie is going to go off the board late second round, early third. And there's not going to be a goalie that's going to come in and help the Penguins. They're going to have to make a move in the free agent market and get a Halibut, like we talked about, or or a Gibson. 
and I'm actually hearing I'm um, Chris Driger from um, Seattle, another guy that um, it, it could be could be a uh, trade bait, which you know is a backup in Seattle, but he could be a starter in Pittsburgh. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of I mean Kyle Dubas came into a, a rough situation. He didn't come into a to an easy situation. He's going to have to make his moves and. Um, he's going to reshape this team, and it's going to be all on him, pretty much. Let, let me ask you guys a question. With the defense so poor, unless you upgrade the defense, is it is it worth getting a, a spending nine million on a goaltender? Because I, I don't know that any goaltender out there could survive uh, what what uh, the Penguin goaltenders have to deal with. Yeah, I think that the, the Pens are going to have to address defense uh, in free agency. There's no one in the draft that's going to be able to really uh, you know, play for them this year or next. Picker is still a year away. Uh, you know, if they're going to go and do that, they're going to have to go the, the free agent. And there's a couple of guys out there. The, the top end of that, you know, Dubicki Orlov, he's going to be way too expensive. He's the best offensive candidate that's out there. Um, they could address it through, through trades uh, and take a look at it there. There's this conversation about how Dumoulin might just accept a you know, team-friendly deal and, and understand that he's no longer a you know, top-four guy, maybe a bottom, you know, you know five-six kind of guy. And if you limit his ice time, uh, he can still be a contributor and you know that will improve his play. I feel like Marcus Pedersen, who had a mediocre year, but just hasn't really broken out in the way that they thought he was going to break out when they traded Daniel Spallin for him a few years ago. Uh, but I think that, you know, you're right, David. They're going to have to address this in free agency. And I, and I don't think it has to be first-wave free agency either. There are going to be guys out there uh, that, you know, surprise, that fall through the cracks, um, that, you know, and with the, the flat salary cap the way it is, teams are going to get tapped. You know, some of that first day... Uh, talent is going to eat up a lot of that cap room, and then some guys are going to have to swallow their pride, play on a one-year deal, make less money than they would, and just kind of prove it to the league, and then come back out next year when the cap does get a bump up, uh, and, and, and try to try to get something there. So, you know, do they land a guy like a like a Orlov? I, I, I honestly, I don't think so. I'm Matt Gumba, who is a right-handed defenseman who is just leaving a monster contract and in Minnesota to come out and play. He's, he's playing right in his prime right now. Will likely cost too much money. So I think, you know, Dubas is going to have to be creative and go in and look at that second or third tier of free agency and find a couple of guys that can kind of plug that. JT, I don't know if you agree with that or not. To your point, I think um, the one thing the Penguins do have going for them, and they've had it for the last 25, 30 years, is it seems players will take less to try to come and and win a cup with Crosby and Malkin. So you might have a guy or two that, you know, Dubas reaches out to and they're like, hey, I'm going to go to Pittsburgh and you know, I'll take two two years, eight million instead of a huge contract. And these younger guys like Dumba, I'm not saying he would do it, Matt Dumba, Dumba or, um, or um, uh, Orlov is already here. I mean, well, he, he might he might give you a, a, cut, a cut in a price. And you never know, like players... They've done that for years in Pittsburgh. You've seen like Tockett come here. You've seen different guys come here and um, just want to win a cup. They want to win a cup, and I hope they're. If I'm their age and I'm looking at the Penguins and saying they got a lot more to do than just get you a couple guys on, but I think I think I think Dubas will have his way of of uh, maneuvering around the cap a little bit, and there's there's ways around it. 
Um, I mean, you talk about the defenseman. There's some forwards out there too that I like. It's like Max Domi, who might have outpriced himself a little bit in, in the, yeah, the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, I really like, and I know he's, he's sort of high priced, but I think he's a guy that might take less money than Tarasenko to come here for a year just to, to build his numbers back up. But I mean, the Penguins have so many needs. They only have five, like four wingers under. They just got a um, Houston in, just resigned. But we still have a lot of needs at winger. Um, we need another center. I mean, Jeff Carter is killing us. And we I guess we all agree Michael Granlund is going to most likely get um, bought out. So that'll put us up to 26 or $27 million to spend. So I think Dubas can make a run at this. Um, I just think he's got to be right on everything. Every single movie makes for us to be a, a cup contender. And before we open this up for questions, because I know that was that we had a lot of fun doing it uh, in, our, in our last uh, live podcast, and I'd love to hear from you guys. We don't have to just talk Edison. Uh, we can talk Steelers. We can talk Pirates. We know we got the first overall pick coming for the Pirates here in a few weeks. But the one thing I did want to mention and recognize was Tom Barossa. You know, here's a guy that just made the Hall of Fame. Uh, yesterday, I know everybody is a big Tommy B fan that lived through that, you know, that, that Penguins dynasty with, with Mario. Uh, and I do have a trivia question, uh, and, and it's a Tom Barrasso-esque question. Uh, and for the first person again, to come up here and pick something of our gear uh, and, and take it with him tonight. Um, first trivia question on the Tom Barrasso front was what number did he wear when he played in Pittsburgh? Yes. I, I, all right, so I got like three people at the time. <laughs> 35. So come on up, guys. Everybody can pick. We're going to have something up here for everyone. So number seven. Number 35 was. Um, yeah, go ahead. And by the way, making the Hall of Fame, he, he's never got a sort of fight like Grant Fuhrer to the point you think about it. He played behind a team that really defense was on the, on the back shelf. So I mean, he would help. There was games the Penguins would get outshot 12 to 2 early in the game, and they'd be winning. Penguins would be winning 2 nothing, And that was all because of Barrasso um, stopping the uh, initial initial burst of the team. So Barrasso was a, was a very good goalie. He, had, he was a left-handed goalie, which made him unique. He's a big goalie. He was, yes, he was, that was the greatest thing about him. Very good, very good uh, goalie. It's great to see him, and I think it's a little bit over. He should have been in there a lot longer, longer ago. But he wasn't the most popular guy with those who would, uh, would pick him for the Hall of Fame, but that should be. Shouldn't have ever been a factor. Yeah. One thing I will say about Tom Barrasso, and this is hard to imagine, but it's true. He plays an 18-year-old rookie with Buffalo. With Buffalo. He was drafted out of high school, never played in the minors, not a game. Went directly to the Sabres and started. Was Rookie of the Year and won the Besson. Yeah, it's insane. That's ridiculous. Yeah, or not, yeah excuse me. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and I, I, you know, to think about that and putting that in goaltender terms, you, you, you think about them when you think of the generational talents, like the Lemieux and the Gretzky's and the, and the Crosby's and the Davies, where these guys are just, it doesn't matter how old they are, they're going to get on the ice and dominate. This guy came into a league that at the time, I believe, still had, correct me if I'm wrong, only 21 teams. Right. Yeah. You know, and so you had condensed talent that he was facing every night that, that you know, that fire-wagon hockey back in the day. And here's about 18 right out of the gate. Bam. You know, look at you. So, anyway, I'd uh, love to hear from you. What do you guys want to talk about? We're here for another half an hour or so. More than happy to, you know, answer any Q&A that you got. And 
Take it from the game. Go ahead, Tony. I think it's going to come out to be like a, um, like the year that, um, like the, the back-to-backers Crosby Ovechkin kind of thing where you're going to see that in one, in one draft of the class where Bedard has all the talent in the world. Um, and I think, that, I think you're right there. And I think the only reason Bedard is ahead of um, Matt A. Mitchell is because of his, um, just because of his contract situation. I think that uh, that's what's holding back on teams. This is a unique draft where the top five or six guys are definitely guys that are going to be, they should be guys that lead their teams. Like Leo Carlson and uh, Adam Fantilli, like you talked about. Um, and there, there's a lot of guys outside the top five, too, that are, it, it's, a, it's a really good draft. We talked about it a little bit off. The defensemen really aren't there this year, which is strange because usually you have three or four defensemen in the top ten that are like, you know, we got to take this defenseman. There really isn't. There's a... In my mind, there's three defensemen maybe that should go in the top 20. And you might, you might get like four or five out of that, but I think three should go in the top 20. You might get one in the top 10 if you're lucky, which is that Ryan Bacher that everybody loves. Um, I, I agree with you. I think a team like San Jose, who's pretty much, they got one or two years to wait before they even become relative anyways, um, relevant. So I would, um, I would say he's definitely up there. Um, I, I hope for Bedard's sake he's as good as he is because I mean he's getting compared to about the, the best of the best right now. So uh, that's a good question. Any other questions out there? You know you've been on that you've been on that for a while on Facebook. Anti Ranta. I mean if you get him for the right price, I mean 
I'm not saying Rant is gonna gonna win you a cup single-handedly, but if you if you're if you're down to the point where you got a you sign your forwards you want, you got your defenseman, you got your team built without a goalie. If Ranta comes over at a good price, I have no no issues with Ranta coming over. I mean, uh, he's proven he can win in this league. That's what you want. So I have I have no issues. With that. I know you've been you've been every time I post a Penguin thing, I see anti Ranta, anti Ranta. And by the way. We talked about Calientes is one of our sponsors. Let's hear for Impact HVAC. They're another one of our sponsors. Um, he came on board. We've um, been here since day one with me um, back in the Sports Bible day. So, um, Anthony Danilo, if you need anything done with your air, your heat, go to Impact HVAC. He's a, he's a great guy. Um, to get back to what we were talking about before, guys, what do you think? Where do you think that Dubis makes his, makes his, makes his name, makes his money? What, what do you think the move he's got to make to make his team competitive? Or do you think he does what we talk about, walking the tightrope? We need to get younger. We have to get younger. I mean, because if you, if you basically go all in for one year, we're going to be set back. Like Dave said, we're, I think we're between 30 and 32 in all the rankings of top um, minor league systems. So. No, nah, we don't. I mean, if you take away the college draft, the college guys we've drafted and just like the third, fourth round picks, we got lucky on. We would have nothing at all on the teams. To me, his his thing, and again, this is not what we're talking about goalies. We're talking about help for for the um, uh, the, the bottom six. But to me, I would concentrate on defense first, defense second, defense third, because there is no goalie in this league that is going to survive the poorest defense that, that the Penguins had last year. I mean, these guys were getting quality shots against them, not just shots on goal, they were quality shots against them. And there's no goalie that, that's going to survive that. So to me, if they're going to rebuild this team in, in an efficient manner, that's got to be where they where they do it, even even before they they start rebuilding the the bottom six. And Joe, you're a big hockey guy. When you watch Chris Letang, what, what, what's your actual what's your actual view of Chris Letang? Because he's one of them guys that are very hot and cold in Pittsburgh. He, if you really watch a game, you see the mistakes he makes. You saw you saw Doom that hung out the dry a lot. I mean, Letang has a, a decent offensive skill set, but he's really not a defensive level. It's easy one on one as a starting the greatest. Where do you put the time like on this year? Well, yeah. Look, I mean, Chris Tang is a Hall of Fame. You know, and you can't take that away from him. Guys that have had his skill set over the years, whether it's him or Carlson out in San Jose or Pop Coffee, who was here for many, many years, uh, often don't see themselves as fading stars, right? Uh, and even though he's had some health concerns and things like that, he has clearly not fallen off. Last year, the, the core three really got us to where we were. It was the rest of the team, as Dave mentioned a couple of times tonight, that won. So I, I haven't seen him taper off, um, but I think that the core around him that was there a few years ago just isn't. I mean, Dumoulin is not playing at the level that he once was. Uh, we don't have some of the defensemen that were in the second and third pairings that were there a few years ago. Our third and fourth line were basically invisible last year, and the team suffered for it. But it wasn't for Chris Letang. Now, Chris Letang does forget to play defense sometimes, but that's what Dumoulin's been there for uh, for the last six or seven years with him. But Dumoulin's not up for that task anymore. He can't play the same amount of minutes that Letang can. Letang's still playing 20-plus minutes a game, 
Now, Dumoulin clearly can't hang there. So they need, to, they need to find a replacement for that if Latang's going to continue to play the game that he's playing. On the power play, I don't question him. Now, he, his shot is not accurate. He misses the net more than he hits it. Uh, but for, as a puck mover, as a hard charger, as a guy that's going to hit me with a pass on a breakout, uh, as a guy that with his speed, even at his age, uh, is still going to make a difference, I think that's important. I think where he's still, he's getting in trouble is with, with penalties, right? Sometimes he'll take risks uh, and he'll have, have to take a penalty to get himself out of, you know, of giving up a goal. Or he'll take a risk that maybe four years ago he would have been able to accomplish. So he just can't at the tail end of these games. And so, we're, look, we're seeing the end of a, of a dynasty here. We're seeing, you know, a, a group of guys who are around for four cups at one three. And, you know, it's they're playing at their last good hockey. And I think he still has a season or two that's left. Uh, but to Dave's point, it's, you know, it, it wouldn't look as evident if he had a, we had a second and third line of defense that was, that was any good. And, and last year proved that, that that's a real deficiency on this team. And to make a point too, with Latang with the penalties, I see the same thing with Malkin. I think Malkin um, will be in the offensive zone. What we'll do is then we'll, we'll, we'll come in there, we'll make a move or two, and then he loses the puck, he gets frustrated, he pulls the guy down 200 feet from his net, and it makes no sense. We did. And I'm starting to see that. I mean, Crosby to me is the only one of the three that is, is still playing a game that is Stanley Cup worthy, in my opinion. Um, I believe Malkin. He's still above average second line center. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think you're going to get the you're not going to get the um, the total get the total game out of Malkin like you used to. And I think um, Latang is probably best suited to have um, you got to find a young Dumoulin to, to, to match with him because I don't think Latang still thinks he can jump in or make a play that he can't he just can't do anymore. And it's I mean I don't know how many times last year you watch a two on one. And you see Dumoulin's the only guy back. And Dumoulin's the guy that's people in Pittsburgh are, oh my god, Dumoulin out there again. But it's not Dumoulin's fault. It's it's the fact that Latang um it, it made his moves. I mean, we talk about this to our blue in the faces. Cal Dubas has a lot, a lot to do. I mean, it's not it's not a one signing thing. It's gonna be a whole a whole uh, off season of making the right moves or, or the penguins are in trouble for a long time. This draft pick means a lot, like you talked about. You picked the wrong guy at fourteen here and you get an understanding of Pullman and really doing anything, you're basically just killing your online system. So it, it's a strange situation. And Joe, you brought it up before that the only way you can basically walk this type of is with, with, with uh, Gensel. Gensel is the one guy that can maybe bring you the draft picks, a couple prospects, and keep your team moving forward. Or you get, like you said, you can get a, a position player that can make you win now. And it, it's, Talk about that. Well, like that, I mean, there's a ch chances are you're not going to be able to sign him next year. The guy's playing on a six million dollar a year contract. He's a forty goal scorer. Uh, he's going to be demanding nine in the open market next year. The Penguins don't have that kind of room. I'm not sure he's going to be around. So if you are going to trade him, this is the year to make that move. Unfortunately, that impacts your number one line. He's Crosby's guy. He knows what he's doing. Uh, it's almost like he's in his mind. Uh, and it's just unfortunate that you know, it might be a situation where he is the valuable piece that they can move to a contender and get legitimate return on it because they got a year uh, at a six million dollar AAV. You know, and I think that that's um, I, if they're going to move it, maybe Rust is the other movable component. 
Uh, but again, if you're moving, you've got to replace him with something that this team's going to play. We saw what Florida did. I mean, let's face facts. I mean, Florida was an eight seed. The Penguins almost were in the playoffs if it were going for the Florida Panthers. Uh, and, you know, they made it all the way to the cup. They did right time. And the Penguins can at this point get up. But last year, they were straight. They were good. And and it doesn't, you know, hockey, home ice advantage doesn't matter much. We've learned that many, many times in watching you know, these teams in the playoffs uh, over the last 15 years. You know, so if, if there's going to be moves, I doubt they're going to be able to move a guy like Brandon. That might be a buyout situation. Uh, I doubt that, you know, Russ had a down year. Uh, Gensel didn't. You know, he's going to be, if, I, if I'm another GM, that's what I'm calling about. You know, can, I, can we get Jake off the team? What's it going to cost for us to do that if we want to recruit our team? That's what I think we're going to call. Is Jake Getzel the kind of guy that has the production he does because of Crosby? And does he become like a 20 to 25 goal scorer without Crosby? Yeah, I don't think he, I don't think he scores 40 without Crosby. Right? What's that? Wait, he did it without Crosby? It's Sidney Crosby, that's the reason. I mean honestly I think it's Sidney Crosby didn't want didn't want people moved because I I I called for four years ago I Morgan. I thought Malkin should have been, been moved or, or the tank could have been moved. I think it's Crosby. Crosby wants the three to play together. He said it. Um, they all took them contracts this past season to tour the line up with each other. I think it's not that Sidney Crosby's that type of player, but I think he has enough in the in the Penguins' ear that he wanted them three to he wants them three to play together. He, I think he enjoys the fact of the longest the longest um, threesome in NHL history that played on one team together for many years. I think that's the only reason. I think I think Ronnie Hexel, as much as I hate Hexel, I don't like the Flyers, I hate Hexel. I think he was basically he couldn't he couldn't make some of the moves he wanted to make or he could have made. I'm sorta of glad because some of these last couple of moves he did make wasn't uh, Michael Granlund and Jeff Carter and, and stuff like that. Um, he had a couple of good draft years. Yeah, and it seemed like he was brought in for that, but yet told that uh, last minute we need to win a Stanley Cup. And I don't know that that was his his strength, uh, the strength at that point. I think the only, the only the last present that Ron Hexall gave us was keeping our draft as much as he did. He wouldn't give that up, and I think we got to take advantage of that. Gotcha. Yeah, he's the name that's been floated out there, but he's the right kind of defenseman for this team. Well, he, he, a good puck mover, solid offensive defenseman, would be a nice counterbalance on the second line to Latane. And they do, like, if they do buy out Grant, they're going to have you know, yeah, a bunch of money on the table to use 
to get out there and get a couple of guys. And you get, obviously, you're going to pay for that down the road. That's not a free move, but it's a move to, to, to move him out and, and save some of that money uh, this year. You know, so clearly he's he's a guy that you know. I think it's I think he's realistic. There's a, that's what I mean. There's a lot of guys out there, and don't rule out the Penguins trading for a defenseman. It doesn't have to be a free agent. Right? Like Dugas, you know, I, I, you know, he's going to have Kirk Blanche to do what he needs to do. And yes, I'm sure he wants to rebuild the Miners. He knows what he's going to be facing in a couple of years for that. But at the end of the day, I have no idea if I'm, you know, just he will be a great second line pairing that will give us someone who can score, someone who can skate. If Latang gets injured, and he has been injured at times, he could step up and be that first line guy. He's he's a real nice fit, and and or others like him. And I think that you know, I think a guy uh, like Hannafin, and uh, frankly, I think Dubas didn't come here to lose. Right? He, yeah, he's, he's walking a nice edge, right? He's got to he's got to pay for tomorrow, you know, with today, but he also has to watch out for tomorrow in, 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 because it's it's approaching quickly. And he's a smart guy, right? I think that he was under a, a microscope in Toronto. And if you look at some of the trades he made, the talent they had there, he brought in. He's not the coach. He's not the players. I mean, I think they can give this guy a, a chance. And frankly, he was the number one draft pick uh, of the Fenway group. They wanted him before he was available, right? And there was this talk about how it was going to take a year off if he's let go and all that kind of BS. Turned out that the minute he was gone, they suspended almost a three-week search. He was in town meeting with Sidney Crosby at the Mario Lemieux uh, complex up in, in Cranberry. I mean, that's how much they wanted this guy. So, look, we all have to give him a chance to do something. And a guy like Hannafin would be a real nice roll of the dice. And there's a few other guys out there that I think are, are reasonable that they might be able to get that he has a he, he knows, like a like a bunting. You know, he's a guy that can have a nice three third, fourth line guy who pitched in back-to-back -back seasons with 23 goals. Like, we didn't have that depth last year, and he was making a couple $950,000. Now, this year he'll get a raise. Don't get me wrong. You know, the guy's good, and he deserves it. But if it's a $34 million contract, that's an affordable contract that bolsters that third or fourth line when we're still eating this legacy contract of a Jeff Carter or, you know, some of the other things that we, we had to do. And I think Hannafin would be a very pleasant surprise tucked under the pillow of all of the Penguins fans on, on January, uh, July 1st. So, Hanson, I would love to get Hanson. I think that'd be a great signing. I also like um, Tyler Bertuzzi. Um, I do like Ryan O'Reilly, but like I said, the centers I think aren't, aren't as big of a need. We need wingers. We need to get some wingers in there with Malkin. Uh, we need to um, really shore up that part of the team. But I think if you can get Hanson, Dude, he's he's younger too. The younger guy. Cause we gotta, like I said, we gotta build a team that's younger. So if you don't win the cup, we still got some young guys that are performing. You don't want a team of thirty-five-year-olds that you are, are gonna build the, the future with, because there's no future in that. So I think I think Hamilton to be. If he comes with July first, it's a great great move. Yeah, he's. Yeah, he's someone that the Penguins have targeted before. Rutherford wanted to get him in here, uh, and then you know the, he got you know, bumped out to to Vancouver. He's a guy that you know when, it's, when his time with the Kings was important to him. Um, you know, 
if he's on the trading block, either go out and get him. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Okay, we'll see. But that's a guy that can provide size, skill, and youth on a team that needs all three. And I think um, he's a hard nut to break. He's a guy that is set in his ways. Um, he don't like young guys for one. He doesn't like having a guy to come. He don't like. He doesn't like the physical play. He wants speed. He's all about the speed. Um, I hope him and Dubis get along. I think. I think together they make a great, a great, uh, a great team together. Both of them. But if Sullivan has his ways. Um, He's not real big on, he, he wants his guys in that's, that's one of the reasons Matt Murray was here as long as he was, early, as early as he was. He's a big Matt Murray guy, he coached him down in the minors. Um, we do need to get physical, there's no doubt. I know that NHL is different now, it's a speed game, but you got to have, got to have some physicality. There was games last year, Sid just gets beat up on, and you, you need a guy out there, at least one guy out there, even if it's like a Kunitz or a Matt Cook kind of guy. I'm not talking like you don't need Brian Reeves anymore, but you need a guy out there to, you know, gonna throw it around with them. You don't want to have like uh, the smaller guys on the team having to, to pick up for Crosby. But I, I, I think that I think that Sullivan has to change. I think that hopefully him and Dubas get to a, a combination where that's why I like a Max Domi. A Max Domi can score, can hit, can play. I think Max Domi would fit with this team perfect. Um, Will we take less money? I know Ty Dummy and Lemieux had a relationship, but now that Lemieux's not really a part of um, the situation, so it'll be interesting. But they do need to get more, uh, they add more physicality. This is I was definitely going to add something like that, where uh, we add a little bit of grit. Not necessarily like somebody like Tom Wilson, but I would love to see him in a thing like uniform. I think that's the kind of guy that we need. I agree. A little bit I agree, but I I don't see that in Sullivan's uh, wheelhouse. I think this is the first time he's actually had a GM who uh, is, is in his same philosophy, and I think that could be a benefit to the team because I, I mean Reeves is a prime example, yeah. um, and sometimes I felt he just purposely didn't use him to make a point, and that was wrong. At the time, I understood what uh, uh, what we were trying to do with Reeves, and I agreed with it. And to your point, uh, you know they could have used physicality, especially to protect themselves. Yeah. But I, I just got the impression Sullivan, uh, almost in a bitter uh, mood, would would ignore uh, uh, using it at times. But you know, on the other end, this is this when you have both in sequence, it, it could be nothing but positive. Davis. Oh, we're All right, so on the Pirates now. Congratulations to Henry Davis. For those of you who don't know who Henry Davis is, he's a number one pick from the first year, few years ago. It just came up about what, five days ago. It's his fourth. I think it's his fourth game. Yeah, it's been a week. On Monday. And, uh, you know, just hit his first home run. Oh, that's awesome. In Miami, he hit a home run. Oh, that's great. It was a 470. And by the way, um, 
one of our writers, Ryan, has an article coming out about why we have to draft, why we should draft Dylan Cruz, and it'll be coming out this weekend. It's the Pirates have some pitching depth in their organization, right? There's no doubt they have some. They have some. We have no. If you look at our outfielders in our organization right now, a guy like Swaggerty's not even listed. Um, we have no outfield depth. We have uh, Kanan, uh, Najiba Smith, who just got called off. We have um, Cal Mitchell. We have great infielders in our organization. Nick Gonzalez. Who is that? Um, they did call Cal Mitchell. Yeah, Cal Mitchell. Yeah. He's been playing yeah. the last couple of games. Yeah. But the Pirates need an outfielder so bad. That's why Dylan Cruz is the pick. I don't care if Paul Skeens throws 100 miles an hour. And, um, we've already had that with Garrett Cole here. I, I'd rather get the outfielder that can you know, come in there. He's a great pitcher. He's a great pitcher, but when when the everyday player is a generation of talent, um, and, and no doubt, I, I think if his arm holds out, he's going to be one of the, the great pitchers in the game and, and a great draft pick, but I take Cruz every day because, as as JT says, there is no outfield depth right now. That is a huge huge issue in, in the organization at this point, which is why Davis, uh, they're, they're trying to get his bat in and putting him in the right field. Um, it's which, our weakest position by far. I mean, yeah. And that's a, bad, that's a bad position to be in. Three outfielders, we have no... Yeah, we're, we're throwing G1 Bay out there. We're throwing guys out there that never were outfielders in the life. Right, right. Your strength in the system right now is basically... Uh, I mean, Mitchell's a slap hitter. Um, he's a good defensive player, but he's a slap hitter. Yes. No. You you got a kid in Altoona right now named Salamito, um, who was a high school. They one of the advantages of drafting Davis was they were able to overpay Salamito and, and get him in the second round. People were apprehensive he had a, a college scholarship, and it was probably the best thing the Pirates did. In that it's the same thing we did with Josh Bell when it, Josh Bell exactly, came out. Exactly. Um, he's a potential number one guy. Um, Jared Jones. Jared, Jared Jones. Jones. He's been pitching. He's pitching lights out. He's up in Triple A. Yeah. He just and he he had uh, six uh, innings, I believe. Uh, shut out six innings when he went to Indianapolis. He has great potential. And there's a kid who is 17 years old from Korea. He was a number one international signing pitcher. He's like 17 years old. He hits 100 already, and he. He just, he intrigues me the most. And let's not give up on Rowan D. Contreras yet. I know he's I, I think he's a potential number one. I think Contreras is a good pitcher. I think people put him down. He's got, yeah. He got moved to the bullpen just like Keller did last year. And Keller came back. So don't give up on Contreras. Um, Luis Ortiz got some, some dominant stuff at times. And OVA. So they got some, they got some talent. And to go back to the point, affording. The outfielders, I mean, Bacacchini could be here much longer. He's, he's not even playing the outfield anyways. You really can't count him as an outfielder. Um, Reynolds is here for a while, so you get him in left. You get Dylan Cruz out there in center, and he's still got he's still got right field open. You got like a Connor Joe kind of guy or Sawinski. Sawinski's out there. Exactly. Exactly. And Savinsky proves a point that the Pirates can pull a guy up early with no Triple A experience, which I can't stand this. Henry Davis only has 186 at-bats, but Sawinski had no at-bats in Triple A. Right, and, so. and Davis looked like a mature hitter. Right. Yeah, I mean, Sawinski's still, he's, there's games that he won't, I, I put money on it, he don't touch the ball all game. But then there's games where he gets two owners. So. If you were a fan of baseball in the 70s, Sawinski is the classic Dave Kidman. Yeah. 
Um, classic Dave King with her. Uh, All or nothing. They'll get to 25 or 30 minutes. Do you have another question? Where is the place? Do you need a job? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. 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 i He's starting to look like a number two, uh, number three pitcher in, in, with the Pirates and, and starting to live to the potential that they thought he had as a first-round pitcher. He's sort of changed his style, too, this year. He, um, he, he, he brought up a slider. He's using his slider more than his fastball, and he's setting his fastball up, which is sort of what Keller did again. So it's good to see that the pitchers in our organization are starting to have a plan where back in the day with Garrett Cole, it was pitch to contact. Right. And we all know the story. Garrett Cole goes to Houston and... Houston's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm pitching the contact. And they're like, you throw 99 miles an hour, just blow it by them. And he, he went on a strike, got 230 guys up first year in Houston. So. And, and the one interesting guy that's out there who has just had a lousy year because he is having trouble uh, hitting the zone is Bubba Chandler. Um, but he has the stuff and he has the arm where if he figures out how to get it in the zone, he could be a number one pitcher on any major league team. So the, the depth is incredible on the mound of this team. And Bubba, and the Bubba Chandler story was he was a, a four-star quarterback about to go to Clemson, and the Pirates paid, paid, paid over price for him to bring him in. So the Pirates do their job drafting-wise. They, they go out and they get these guys they want. Like we talked about earlier, Josh Bell was a second-round pick that told all 30 teams, I'm not coming to the pros, I'm going to Texas, I'm not going to play Major League Baseball. Pirates saved money in the first round, went out and got, they got Josh Bell in it. I mean, yeah. Josh Bell had some nice seasons in Pittsburgh. It's just a, it's almost like, I always kid around about this, the Major League Baseball seems they changed the rules when the, the Pirates started doing what they were doing. The Pirates went out and started getting these second round picks. You would think that Major League, they go, okay, cool, these these uh, these bad teams are making making up, but they, they made the rules on, they put the, the uh, slots on guys and all, so. Again, Scott Boris. Scott Boris. I'm not sure if we're still afraid of him, but I know he's he's basically said in the paper and media a couple of times that he does not like doesn't like working with nothing nothing not gonna not gonna pay the money i mean right, but, I, but there's a slot there's a slot right we're gonna get him with the slot money maybe a little bit over the slot value but then the, the big thing's gonna be his first contract that's where you gotta start worrying i mean if he puts up big numbers here you better be ready to Nutting better be ready to pay right. the big bucks. And, and I'm not sure Nutting will, will ever be that, that kind of owner, but I, I I think the old man kind of got into his head last year because he was going to keep Huntington until his, his father stepped in and basically kind of pushed the, you're, you're nuts if you keep this guy. 
because Huntington, as good as he was finding good major league talent in trades and free agency. He might have made the worst trade in baseball history. <laughs> but I mean, he couldn't develop anything. He couldn't develop pitchers. Yeah. Yeah, the Glasnow, the um, Shane Baz, and Austin Meadows for Chris Archer will go down as my biggest nightmare as a Pirate fan ever. <laughs> Right. And Austin Meadows is a reason why our, our, our outfield is what it is now. I mean, he was a, he'd been a great a great right fielder right now. He's had, he's had some issues. Um, yeah. Four years ago, outfield was one of our biggest. Oh yeah, we had uh, Marte, we had Meadows, we had we had a lot of young guys, guys coming. Polanco and Polanco was a guy that really hurt 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 our organization with that. And if you look at it, that was Huntington's, especially with pitchers. They couldn't develop any of these guys. Um, to reach that potential. I mean, Marte did, I mean, before the injury, Polanco was a 25 home run guy, but again, I never, I wonder what happened to him defensively because in, in Indianapolis, I would, um, I, I probably saw about half his games and he didn't look that bad. When he came up here, he, he looked lost um, defensively, but that's what I I really think the edge with a carrying pin in your system is. is he, has put together a great development system and we're starting to see I mean you have the greatest recruiting card in in Latin America with Roberto Clemente and the fact that it took 15 years until they had a Latin American pitcher start a game for them um, was just a crime and you know again now I like the starting pitching right now even though it's it's struggled a little bit like what they had. Brew Baker looked like he was going to take the next step up. So, I mean, there, there's a lot they can do with trades. There's a lot they can do um, to really develop this. But I think it would personally be nuts if you didn't take Dylan Cruz as the number one pick at this point. We're coming to the end of our time. We have time for one more question. Does anybody have. Yeah, go ahead, Tom. Well, it looks like Davis, right you know, Davis not had a good year, and they jumped, they, they left Davis in front of him, but, you know. I'll defer to you, Dave. I, that, that's that's right. a debate on this team. I mean, the one thing Davis would have an advantage, in two years you're going to see the automated ump, which is going to negate the, the frame aspect of catching, and that's where Davis has a little weakness. Um, Davis has the better arm, um, and Endy is more athletic than Davis. So Endy, Endy can adapt to a middle infield position or an outfield position. Um, I mean, he has struggled this year. You're right, uh, uh, Joe. But I, he's got a lot of talent, and, and I do think he's gonna he's gonna be a productive pirate when he comes up. But I think Davis will most likely be a catcher. Well, everybody, thank you for coming out this evening. We appreciate it, as always. Uh, our next event, our next live podcast will be at uh, Three Rivers Coding on July 27th in Sewickley. If you like go-karting, uh, axe-throwing, arcade-going, or just drinking, it's a great place to go to. Uh, hope to see you all there. Thanks again for coming out today. We much appreciate it. I never feel sick, but I'm sitting at this table and I feel sick.